Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And this week, we're going to be thinking about a subject which I know is of great interest to a lot of investors, which is buying property at auction. Now, the reason why I wanted to cover that uh, subject today particularly is because when I was training at Masterclass a few weeks back, somebody came up to me during one of the breaks and said, Peter, why haven't you been teaching us how to buy properties at auction? And I thought that is a very interesting question. There's reasons why we don't cover that uh, at Masterclass, which I'll go into in a moment. But one of the reasons why I thought it's particularly interesting, and you may not know this, but I used to write for uh, a newsletter which was called Property Auction News. So property and property auctions, obviously a subject very close to my heart. So I thought, yeah, I really ought to do a podcast on this. So let's just deal with the question, why don't we teach about auctions at Masterclass? Well, quite simply, I think Personally speaking, this is my view, you can agree or disagree, but in my view, there's actually easier ways of making money in property without buying them at auction. And auction is really just, it's not really a strategy in its own right, it's just a subset of a strategy which is buying property and letting them out. And there are reasons, good reasons, why particularly, I think, particularly if you're a beginner investor, not that experienced, why auctions could actually be a bit of a pitfall. And we're going to think about that as we go through this podcast. There's definitely risks in buying at auction, which we're going to explore. But it is true that buying property at auction can be a really neat tool in your property buyer's toolbox if it allows you to buy the right property. And that's got to be the crucial thing, buying the right property at the right price. And again, we'll think about that as we go through this podcast. But I understand why so many people are interested in property auctions. It's almost in our consciousness now, isn't it, that we're bombarded the whole time with images from programmes on TV like Homes Under the Hammer. And depending upon which episode you watch, it either makes it look really easy or it makes it look really, really hard. But I think that prob probably because of the recession a few years back when the banks were selling lots of properties, repossessed properties particularly, there was a perception that buying property at auction means that you can get a property cheap. Now, that might have been true at that time. And it was probably a function of the fact that there was a recession, the banks were selling the repossessions, and being a recession, there was a limited number of buyers, which meant that the best prices weren't being achieved. And I think that gave a perception to a lot of people that buying property at auction means that you're always going to be buying cheap property or buying properties cheaply at auction. I don't think that's actually the case. I think it's going to be much more a function of the market. I certainly have seen people buying properties which I thought they're actually paying a lot of money for at auction. So I think that the, the, the idea that properties are always cheap at auction is a bit of a myth. And again, we'll look at this perhaps in more detail as we go through this podcast. But having said all of that, sometimes it is possible to buy properties at a really good price at auction. So, repossessed property. Yeah, we can find those at auction, but that's really only just one type of property. 
that we're going to find at auction. Banks selling repossessed property. Who else is going to be selling property at auction? Well, it could be private sellers. A lot of private sellers will put their properties into auction, particularly if they want a quick sale. It could be investment funds. It could be property companies. Government agencies, they tend to put their properties out through auction. There's a reason for that which we'll think about in a moment. So, for example, government agencies like the police or the army, for example, the army selling off land at the moment and buildings, that's a good chance that the, 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 the smaller lots particularly will go through auctions. And then, of course, the banks that we've talked about, but really auctions, they're used by all sorts of different sellers to offload their property. So what sort of property are they actually going to be selling at auction? Well, if you look at it and if you boil it down, really there's only about five different types of property which you're most likely to find at auction. So let's have a think about what those types of property are. Number one is what I'd call properties that are hard to gauge. They're unusual properties. So they could be properties where we're not really sure what we're going to use them for or we're not sure what the demand for that particular type of property is going to be. Maybe we're not even sure how much it's worth or what sort of price we're going to get for the property. So quite often properties like that will be put into an auction almost speculatively. Maybe the seller's almost sort of having a bit of a punt. They know they need to get rid of it. And they're thinking that they don't really know what to do with it. They don't know what to ask for it. They don't know what price to put on it. They don't know what the, the buyer's going to use it for. So the auction seems to be the easiest route to get rid of it and the most cost-effective way of selling it. So you see some really strange stuff being sold at auction. If you subscribe to some of the sort of bigger auction companies and get their catalogues and, and look through them regularly, you'll see some stuff like occasionally you get like a nuclear bunker being sold. I mean, what are you going to do with that? That's an interesting one, isn't it? Or public toilets. They're the ones which always get the press excited. Whenever an auction firm is selling a local uh, public toilet, you know the press are going to try and do some kind of an article about it because for some reason they find the idea of selling toilets at auction fascinating. But again, it's an interesting one because what's the buyer going to do with it? Will they be able to get planning for a different use because they're not going to leave it as public toilets, presumably, unless they're going to charge 20p a time to use it and get some kind of income from it, possibly. Unlikely though, most of the, most of the time they're going to be trying to find an alternative use, maybe turning it into offices or maybe a, a small shop or something. What else do you receive? Strange stuff being sold at auction. Water towers, old water towers which are redundant and which again perhaps you can get change of use to residential. See those quite often. And one which I saw a few years ago which is really unusual was a toll bridge which I think was in Oxfordshire. And I think this bridge had been in family ownership for a long time and they wanted to sell it. And it was, it was quite a strange setup. The bridge literally had a toll, so there was somebody in a sort of little hut at the end of the bridge. And if you wanted to go across the bridge, I think you had to pay like 10p for a car and 20p for a lorry. But because this was quite a busy road, it actually generated loads and loads of income. And this, uh, this bridge was sold at auction as an investment. So that's the first type of property that we're going to find at auction, the weird stuff, the stuff which nobody really knows what to do with and what sort of price it's going to get. What else are we going to find? Well, number two on our list of the different types of property is going to be specialist properties. Now, by that I mean specialist properties that are probably only going to be of interest to particular niche buyers. And those niche buyers might be quite hard to find. 
which is why using an auction is probably the best way to find them because it's, they're, the, they're more likely to pick up the fact that the property is for sale through the auction. So for example, if it's a really niche specialist property and you put it on with a local estate agent, probably the only people who are ever gonna hear that property's on the market are people who are sort of fairly based locally, based local to the local estate agent. Whereas if you put it into an auction, there's gonna be a much wider market who are gonna pick up the fact that this property is for sale. So what could that be? Well, it could be things like residential investments, but not your normal vanilla buy-to-lets. Residential investments which have got perhaps the old-style regulated tenancies. There's still a few of those out there. And there's very particular niche buyers who want those. Why are they niche buyers? Because there's a way of dealing with these properties which you need to know what you're doing essentially because the tenant has got protected rights, the tenant can live there for life and in some cases their heirs and successors can take the property over. So it's not like buying a vanilla buy-to-let property. You need to understand the law, you need to understand how the property system works under the old style regulations, rent acts they used to be called. And not many people actually know how to do that and so there's specialist firms who buy these properties and they tend to get them at a price which reflects the fact that the tenant's got life long tenancy. So it could be something like that. Or it could be freehold ground rents. Now there's been quite a lot of stuff in the press recently about freehold ground rents because some of the bigger builders have been building properties and putting all of the properties onto long leases and the lease uh, specifies that the occupier, the owner of the property for want of a better word, has to pay a ground rent. And there's been a bit of a hue and a cry about this because uh, the, the press have latched onto this and have said how unfair it is to the owners because the big building companies are basically sort of taking advantage of them. But the reality is that freehold ground rents are nothing new. Most flats in the UK are on long leases and as part of the lease you'll quite often have to pay a ground rent and they're specialist companies who collect parcels of ground rents and collect the income as an investment. Not the sort of thing which we'd necessarily do. The returns on the yields are usually quite low, three, four, five percent would be quite typical. But for the specialist companies who know how to manage them, that's, that's sort of their bread and butter. So they could be buying at auction. Things like blocks of garages. Again, blocks of garages where you're collecting five pounds or ten pounds a week in rent for renting out the garages. Very management intensive, not everybody's cup of tea. But there are specialist firms who do nothing but let out blocks of garages. So they could be buying. So there's a, really we're talking about specialist properties where there's a fairly active market but a limited number of buyers. So that could be the type of thing that we could call as specialist under number two. Number three, the third type of property that we're going to find at auction is what I'd call difficult or even defective properties. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, difficult in the sense that they may have some kind of structural problem. For example, if they need underpinning, if there's a big crack running through the back, and by the way, one of the tests really uh, for this is perhaps if you can get your whole hand through the crack, you know you're gonna have to underpin it. Now, that's not the only test, by the way, so don't rely purely on that, but when you hear about problem properties which have got big structural problems, they're probably most likely going to be sold at auction 
because the seller knows that the specialists who can cope with that type of problem and who know how to rectify that type of problem are most likely the sort of professional people who are going to be buying at auction. So it could be something with a, a structural defect, but it could also be something with a, a legal defect. So, for example, there may be problems with the title that need to be resolved before the pro property can be mortgaged, for example. If it's got a title problem, then the property may not be mortgageable. And so the vendor knows or have been advised by their agents that they need a cash buyer. And the cash buyer is more likely to be able to buy or is more likely to be the sort of buyer who's going to turn up at the auction. So I bought a property not so long ago, about 18 months ago, which had been sold at auction and the buyer hadn't been able to complete because there was a, a title defect. So the property came back onto the market, despite the fact it had been sold at the auction, it never completed. And I bought it, not actually at the auction, but I bought it through an estate agent, but I bought it on auction terms, which was a bit strange. It was sort of still deemed to be sold within the auction, even though it had come back out of the auction. And the problem that that property had was that there was a title defect. One of the freeholders, there were three freeholders, and one of the freeholders had actually gone off to Switzerland, and he was a ski instructor, funnily enough, up in the mountains of Switzerland. Nobody could get hold of him. And eventually we did a bit of detective work, and literally knocking on people's doors, asking if they knew this freeholder, whether they knew where he had gone, and we eventually found him. And I managed to persuade him to fly back from Switzerland to sign the papers which then put the freehold, his share of the freehold in my name, which then got rid of the legal problem. We were able to resolve the whole legal problem at that time. But it was quite a palaver. It took about a year to find him because he'd gone bankrupt and all sorts of stuff had happened. And uh, it wasn't straightforward at all. But that would be very typical of a property which would go to auction. So I suppose the question, going back to the question which I was asked at Masterclass, my retort would be, well, are these the sort of properties which we should be buying? Well, I don't know. You'd have to be the judge of that. If you've got the time, the patience, the money, the resources, the knowledge to be able to resolve problems like that, then possibly they are the sort of thing that you should be buying. Very often, though, that type of property is going to be for cash buyers only, and they may be unmortgageable until you actually resolve the problem. So it could be something which is you're going to affect your cash flow, which is something you need to think about. So that's three types of property we're going to find at auction. Let's carry on. Number four, the fourth type of property we're going to find at auction, is where the vendor needs to be seen to have marketed the property widely. So whether you agree with this or not, whether it's right or wrong, and I must admit I do have reservations as to whether it's actually correct, but there is a view that if you put a property into an auction, then it's widely marketed that because of the way that the auction system works and because of the way that auctions are advertised, that that's really as much advertising as you could do. And it's probably more widely marketed, for example, than if you just put it in the hands of your local estate agent. And that's why, going back to previous point, when banks repossess properties and when they want to sell properties, they'll quite often stick the property into the auction. Not because they think that necessarily they're going to get the best price, although they would argue that they we're trying to get the best price, but it's more about covering their backsides, to be honest with you, so that they can say, we've marketed the property as widely as we could. So repossessions, certainly. And by the way, I don't know if you know this, but repossessions nowadays aren't actually called repossessions. 
If you go to an estate agent, for example, or if the auctioneer says uh, this is a corporate sale, you'll know that if anybody ever mentions a corporate sale, what they're really meaning is this is a repossession. That's what they call nowadays. Don't ask me why, but that's how it is. So that's the fourth type of property. And number five, the last type of property on our list, is a property where the vendor needs a quick sale. So again, this may fit the category for repossessions. Having said that though, when a, a bank repossesses a property, it can be quite some considerable time before it actually ends up being sold, whether that be in auction or through an estate agent. So not necessarily a repossession, although sometimes the bank want to offload their properties quickly. But certainly, for example, it could be a probate property. Maybe there's a number of beneficiaries to the will who want to get their money out as quickly as they can. So they may put the property into auction rather than waiting for it to be sold through an estate agent. Why would they do that? Because they get certainty and speed. If the property sells at the auction, the minute the gavel goes down, contracts are deemed to have been exchanged and then the terms of the auction will tell you exactly how long it is until completion has to take place. And it's usually 21 days, 28 days. So selling a property through auction can be very quick and give loads of certainty. It could be that the vendor's in financial difficulties, of course. Maybe they need to get out of property quickly. And at the moment we're seeing a lot of landlords wanting to sell up because of the effects of the Section 24 tax changes, the way that mortgage interest is treated, the fact that we can't offset the mortgage interest in the way that we used to be able to, and some landlords are getting out of the market, and so it makes total sense for them to actually sell the property through an auction to get rid of it quickly. Or maybe the properties that they're selling through the auction just no longer fit their strategy. So if you're a beginner or not that experienced in property and you're thinking that buying at auction could be the right way for you to go, then I would suggest that you probably think about types four and five. Properties where the vendor needs to be seen to have marketed the property widely and properties where the vendor wants a quick sale. Those are probably the ones which I'd be trying to find as I was sifting through the auction catalogue. Certainly properties where there's some kind of difficulty or defect, such as a structural defect or a legal defect, they can be hard and they can be expensive to put right. So you need to be very careful to make sure that you know exactly what sort of property you're looking at when you look at the property in the auction. So let's have a think about this. What are we going to do before we go to the auction, before we start buying? Well, here's a very quick six-step guide to preparing for going to the auction. So number one, and this sounds very obvious, but the first thing you want to do is you want to get hold of a copy of the catalogue from the auctioneer, and then you want to look through it. Now, before we go through further on that, let me just sort of double back a bit and say, because there's different ways of actually getting hold of the catalogue now. I'm a bit old-fashioned and I love having a hard copy of the catalogue in my hand. So I will still, where I can, ask the auctioneers to send me a copy of their catalogue out in the post because it's easy to refer to. You can write notes on it, for example, scribble on it, mark bits and pieces. It's just really handy. But I'm a bit of an old dinosaur like that. So if you're a bit more technically proficient, you could go the second route, which is just to download it online or go and look at it online. Most auctioneers, if not all auctioneers nowadays, will make their catalogue available online. So what is it we're actually looking for? Because obviously 
yeah, you've got to look at the catalogue because otherwise you won't know what's in the auction. But I'm not just saying just look through the catalogue. What you need to be doing is looking at the properties and trying to A, work out if which of the five types of property it is you're looking at so that you know whether it's the right sort for you. Fundamentally and crucially, you need to be looking to see whether any of the properties in the catalogue fit your strategy because I hope that you're buying strategically, not just buying any old thing that comes along. I hope that you know exactly why you're buying and what you're buying and how you're going to buy it. So that's primarily what I'd be looking for, properties that fit my strategy. Then of course, be thinking about price. Now, most auctioneers will give a guide price. Some don't give a guide price as such. They actually give what they call a starting price or the implication that when you get to the auction, that will be the first bid they'll be looking for. But by and large, most will give a guide price. Now, is the guide price what the property is going to sell for? No, no, very definitely not. And if you look at the sort of guide prices and can compare them with sold prices, you'll see that there, there can be a massive difference between a guide price and a sold price. And many times the property will sell for much more than a guide price. So it isn't really a guide price at all, to be honest. It's just a price, which is probably totally irrelevant. What else are we looking for as we go through the catalogue? Well, potentially properties with an angle. What do I mean by that? Well, properties where perhaps we can do something to make some money, maybe by doing a refurb. Maybe we're looking for rundown properties. Or maybe we're looking for properties on short leases, where perhaps if we can buy them at the right price and then extend the lease, we can then sell them on with a longer lease and make a bit of a profit. Or maybe we're looking for properties where we can change use. I know small property companies, for example, which specialise in buying small commercial properties and changing the use under planning, putting in a planning application, changing it from, say, retail to a takeaway use, for example, which oftentimes will greatly increase the value. That can be a great strategy, but there's usually an angle. Depending on what the property is and depending on why it's in, in the catalogue, there's usually an angle where if you look at it, you can think, yes, I could make money from it by doing this. And then what else are we looking for? Well, probably clues. We're going through the catalogue looking for clues. So what do I mean by that? Well, for example, if it's a repossession or as they're called nowadays, a corporate sale, then the catalogue might say something like offered for sale by, and then there might be the name of a bank. So that could be a clue that it's a repossession, corporate sale. Now, does that mean that we can buy it cheap? Well, not necessarily, but maybe, maybe. So that's the sort of clue that we might be looking for. What else are we going to be looking at as we go through the catalogue? Well, it's definitely the starting point of doing our analysis and research. Ultimately, what we need to be thinking about, what is this property worth? Put another way, perhaps, what is this property worth to me? And perhaps what that actually means is how much am I prepared to bid is what we're really getting to. Maybe we're thinking about how much do we need to spend on it. Now, obviously from the catalogue, it's not going to be quite that easy to actually work that out. But maybe it's a starting point. If we know that there's a refurb, if there's some photos, if we know the type of property, if we know the age of that type of property, we can start to think about some figures for how much we're going to have to spend on it. Definitely, what can we do with it? And definitely, as part of our research, as we go through the catalogue, we can be thinking, what are other similar properties selling for? If there are any other similar properties in the locality. So maybe as we're going through the catalogue, we also have Rightmove open, for example, and we start doing some 
research into values. So that's step one, reviewing the catalogue. As I say, it's not just flicking through it while drinking a cup of coffee. It's the starting point of some very serious analysis and research. Step two, now this is a bit boring, but it's necessary. It's reading the conditions and the special conditions of the sale. So this is where all the small print's going to be. This is where the auctioneer's going to put the small print and there'll be conditions which apply to all properties. Those are the general conditions. And then there'll be special conditions which might apply only to the property that you're looking at. And you need to know what those conditions are because all sorts of things can get slipped in. Such as, for example, the vendor might say that the buyer has to pay the cost of the searches or refund the cost of searches, for example, or refund the cost of preparing the legal pack. Or there could be some kind of seller's premium. A lot of local authorities will actually charge over and above what you pay for the property. They might stick an extra thousand or two thousand or, or more on the property as a kind of a premium in order to get funds into the coffers for the local authority. You won't necessarily know that unless you go through the special conditions. So as I say, it's a bit boring, but it needs to be done. Step three. Let's assume that you've done this. Let's assume that you've found a property that you're interested, that you think there may be an angle or two that you could use to make some money from this property. And if you can get it at the right price, you think it's a bit of a runner. Well, what do you do next? Well, step three, self-evidently, is you need to now go and look at it. You need to go and inspect the property and you need to go and inspect the area that the property is located in. Now, please, 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 please don't buy your properties unseen. I know of people who've done this and sometimes they get away with it. Quite often, though, they don't. I know of people who, who've bought properties unseen and they've ended up with all sorts of problems. And the reality is, if the property's in an auction, the chances are that there is going to be some kind of a problem. Don't do it unseen. Now, here's one thing which can happen. It might be, and I know that this has happened with, with a lot of investors and buyers at auction, that they've gone to buy a particular property at the auction, but they've not managed to buy it. They've been outbid. What do they do? Rather than just going home like they should and starting the process again, they might then bid speculatively on a property which they haven't even researched because they know they've got the money available and they're disappointed that they weren't able to buy the property that they went to the auction to buy. Don't do that. Never buy unseen. Always go and inspect. If you're going to get a bit over-enthusiastic at the auction, take somebody with you to make sure that they can stop you from bidding because you don't want to bid for stuff that you haven't seen. So why are we inspecting it? Well, because we want to confirm what we're thinking. We want to confirm what we think we can do with the property if we can buy it. Maybe we're thinking about refurbing it. We can have a better look, a more detailed look, get a better idea of how much the refurb's going to cost, or get an idea of all the works that are required. If we're thinking of changing the property, if we're going to perhaps convert it or develop it, then we get, can get a better idea of whether that's actually going to work in practice. We can look at the layout, we can look at the room sizes, we can look at the way the property is actually put together physically to make sure that structurally it can accommodate whatever it is we want to do with it. And primarily, what are we going there to inspect it for? To help us decide what the actual value of the property is. As I said earlier, what's it worth to us? How much are we going to be prepared to bid? So that's another good reason why we want to look at the locality, not just the property. We need to have a good idea of what's selling in the, in the, in the 
local market, what sort of prices have been achieved. And if we're thinking of converting it, for example, if perhaps we want to buy a property and make it into a HMO, we can have a look and see whether anybody else has done that in the locality. That might give us a clue as to whether we're going to get planning if we need it, or a licence if we need it, for example. Or maybe we're thinking about doing something like a, a loft conversion. Have any other properties in the locality had the same thing done? If they have, great. That might mean that it's easier to get through the regs and to get the consents that we need. So we need to look at the locality as well as the property. Step four is to take all of this information which we've now gathered and all of our thoughts and start pulling it together to start deciding what our maximum bid is going to be if and when we actually get to the auction. And the starting point for this has got to be deciding on what you think it's worth. As I say, just ignore the guide price. The guide price doesn't really mean anything at all. It's what do you think the property is worth, given that you know what you're going to be doing with it. And when you know what the property is worth to you, then you can decide what's the maximum amount you're going to be prepared to bid. And you want to have a figure in mind. Don't go with a loose figure of about. Have a very specific figure beyond which you will not bid when you get to the auction. We'll think about that a bit more in a moment. Step five of our six-step process before we go to the auction. Again, for me, it's a little bit boring. If you're a bit more of a details person, you might enjoy this. I don't know. But it's getting the legal pack. Now, nowadays, you can usually download the legal pack online. Most auctioneers will make it accessible online, and so you can download it. And the legal pack will have all the stuff like the title deeds, any leases, if there's leases, searches. Quite often, the solicitors who are acting for the vendor will prepare all the searches ready. Why? Because they want the process to go through very quickly after the sale. So they want all the paperwork in place. It might include other useful documents like planning consents or expired planning consents, for example, all the stuff which probably you need to have to, to look at to A, confirm your opinion of value, but also to make sure that it's not one of these properties which has got some kind of strange legal situation which is going to make it difficult for you perhaps to mortgage. If you're thinking about financing the property after you've bought it, or if you're thinking of using finance to buy it, it's crucial that you know that there's no little strange quirk in the title deeds which is going to upset the bank and make them not give you the money that you need. There may be notes of restrictive covenants, for example, which may impact if you're thinking of developing or changing the use. So you need to know all this stuff and you need to sit and read through all of the documents really carefully and make sure that you understand it. Now the thing is, of course, this is, as a as a chartered surveyor, I have to say this, you need to get legal advice on this, really, and you probably need to be getting a solicitor to go through the legal pack for you, particularly if you're not very experienced in property, if you don't have a legal background, don't do it yourself, get somebody in to do it for you. So step six is, if you still like the property, you now need to arrange finance especially if you're not buying for cash. Now, this is the big thing. Do you buy for cash or do you pay, buy, get some finance? Believe it or not, it can actually be easier to buy a property in auction than it can be buying a property through an estate agent. But whether that's the right way to do it or not, you'd have to decide, A, by reference to your circumstances, and B, by reference to the property and what you want to do for it. 
One of the key things, though, is to understand what you're buying. Now, one of the advantages of buying using finance is that there's going to be a surveyor who's going to go out and look at the property. And although they're only going to be doing a bank valuation, they're not going to be doing a structural survey, hopefully, if there is something really alarming which you've missed, they're going to pick it up. So that's one advantage of using finance. If you're not using finance, and you're buying for cash, then you're probably going to need a valuation and a survey as well. So more cost. How much is a valuation? Well, it depends where the property is and what it is. So 300 to 500 quid, a full structural survey, 500 to 1,000 to 1,500, depending upon what it is and where it is. Who knows? It could be a lot of money. But you probably need to spend it out before you go to the auction. So you can see that there's an awful lot of work to do before you go to the auction. And if you're serious, about buying properties, you may find that you spent quite a few hundred pounds or even thousands of pounds before you even get to the point where you arrive at the auction. So what's going to happen when you get to the auction? Well, quite simply, you're going to go in and you're probably going to be asked to register. Most auctions nowadays will want you to register before the auction starts. It's not a case of just walking in and sticking your hand up and bidding. They'll want to know who you are. They'll probably give you some kind of identification some auction houses will give you a sort of a paddle with a number on it so that you, lift, you have to raise that when you're bidding rather than just sort of raising your hand. And as part of the process, of, they'll want to know that you've got the funds in place to be able to pay a deposit should you be a successful bidder. And those funds may have to be paid by banker's draft. You'll have to look at the terms and the conditions of the auction to find out how it is that they want to take payment from you. And depending upon which auction you go to, if you go to some of the big London auctions, there may be hundreds of lots being sold over two or three days. So do you want to sit through all that? Well, it's fantastic education, actually. So if you have the time to sit there and go through it and see what's selling, see what the investment properties are selling for, for example, that can be really enlightening, a really good way of getting to understand the market and the yields and stuff. But if you're just buying a, a little house for a refurb, for example, you might not want to sit through three days of the sale. So you want to arrive at the auction at the right time to make sure that you can actually bid for the property. Now, the difficulty is that you won't know until the auction starts how many of the lots which are in the catalogue are actually going to be offered. Quite a few will be withdrawn prior. Quite often, the solicitors find that they're not ready with the paperwork, and so they'll be deferred to a future auction. Or it could be that the property gets sold prior and the property you went to buy actually isn't going to be offered. These things happen. But let's assume that there's a property and you're going for it, and you're going to be bidding for it. Probably one of three things is going to happen. Either you'll be the winning bidder, which will be fantastic, hopefully, if you bought it at the right price, or, quite possible, somebody's going to outbid you, and at some point you're going to drop out, or the property is going to be withdrawn, even if it's offered for sale, because it didn't reach the reserve. And that can be really frustrating if you're the highest bidder, but the auctioneer looks at you and says, I'm sorry, we're not quite there. It's withdrawn. Now, if that happens, it's always worth talking to the auctioneer about doing a deal. And in fact, some investors say that they only deal in properties which are withdrawn and not sold at the auction. Why? Because they know that the vendor is probably going to be highly motivated because the property's gone into auction and hasn't sold. Makes it much easier to go to the auctioneer and do a bit of a deal. But if you're the winning bidder, let's be positive about this, let's assume you're the winning bidder, well, you'll have to have your deposit, 
As I say, you'll have to make sure that you can pay it. They'll have checked that you can. The conditions of sale will tell you how the auctioneer wants to take the payment. And if you are the winning bidder, there's now no going back. Once the gavel hits the little hammer, which the auctioneer's got, usually hits a block of wood, at that moment you're deemed to exchange contracts. And at that point you've probably got 21 or 28 days to complete. And you have to complete. You have to make sure that you've got your finance in place because if you don't complete within the 21 or the 28 days or whatever the specified time is within the condition of the sale, then you're going to be in big trouble. So you're going to need a solicitor lined up, ready to go, somebody who can act fast, somebody who's experienced at buying at auction, so they do act fast. You don't want somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and they drag their heels because whether it's your fault or not, you take responsibility if you don't complete in time. And as I say, if you're going to use finance, you might want a fast form of finance, like bridging, potentially. So, let's just sort of finish up our thoughts on auctions by thinking about what some of the risks are. Well, the big risk of an auction is that you spend the time and the money to get yourself in a position to buy the property, and then you go to the auction, and you don't even get the chance to bid. This has happened to me. I've lined myself up to go and buy properties at auction, I've been very excited, imagining in my mind I was going to be the successful bidder because I've thought about all the analysis and all the homework I've done and I've thought nobody else can have gone to the detail I've gone to. I know exactly how much this property is worth. And yet in a hot market where there's fervent buyers, it's entirely possible, as I've experienced, that you don't even get to put your hand up. The property goes, gets so many bids that the price goes beyond my maximum price or your maximum price before you even get a chance to bid. So that's one of the big risks, and that's why buying property at auction isn't necessarily for a beginner level. I'm not saying you have to wait too long to go and buy properties at auction, but it wouldn't necessarily be your primary strategy as a beginner, because a little bit hit a hint and miss as to whether you're actually going to be the successful bidder. Now, the great thing about properties at auction, though, is they can be a fantastic way to sell. And I don't know whether your strategy is flipping, but if you were thinking about doing a flipping strategy, for example, a great way of using auctions is to do it the other way around, literally flip it, and rather than buying it at auction, sell at auction. And this is something which I've done successfully as well. I've bought a property through an estate agent, which needed a little bit of work to into it. I bought it at what I thought was a really good price. And then I did nothing to the property, but I just put it on the market through an, uh, an auctioneer and sold it a couple of months later at the auction and made a really nice profit. And I know some investors who do nothing but that. They buy properties through estate agents and then sell them through auctioneers. That, by the way, sort of busts the myth, doesn't it, that every property that sells at auction is a cheap one? Because if that was the case, then this strategy wouldn't work. But I know it works for a lot of people. It works, though, of course, because they're able to buy the properties at the right price through the estate agents. So there we are. That's some very sort of quick thoughts on auctions. I hope that that's helped you. My key advice would be, rather than thinking about buying at auction itself, keep an eye on the auctions and see if you can buy properties post-auction because that will give you a bit more time. And if the property's been to auction and hasn't sold, then probably, probably, the vendor's going to be highly motivated and there's more chance of doing a deal and getting a better price than, it, than if you actually bid at the auction and bought it using the auction process by sticking your hand up or sticking your paddle up and down. So there's a thought for you. So anyway, 
Hope that's been helpful. Really interesting subject. Property auctions can be really exciting. And even if you're not thinking of buying at auction, I'd suggest that you go and visit a few auctions, find out where your local property auctions are and when they're happening. Get the catalogue, do some analysis, have a bit of fun. Choose a property and just have a bit of a practice run on it. Don't go and buy it unless you really want to buy it, but just choose two or three properties in the auction. See if you can work out what you think it's worth. Come up with an idea of what the maximum bid would be that you'd put in on the property. And then go to the auction and do a sort of bit of a dummy run. Just sit there and see how close to your maximum bid the property sells for. And see what sort of people are bidding for the property and see if you can sort of chat to people, find out why they're there and what they're going to do with properties which they buy at the auction. And see what properties are selling for. It gives you a great idea of what values are, particularly for investment properties, for example. You'll see properties with tenants being sold at the larger auctions and it gives you a really good idea of what the yields are currently in the marketplace for tenanted property which can be really interesting as investors. So I've been Peter Jones, this has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If you have any questions about property which you think would be suitable for a podcast, a future podcast, send them through to me, contact me through the Progressive community, through the Facebook group or get in touch with me via Messenger, let me know what your question is and if it looks like a suitable topic then we'll cover it. I can't promise, of course, because I get lots of requests and lots of different questions, but if it looks like it could be a subject which would help everybody if we cover it in this podcast, I'll be happy to hear about it and think about doing it. So, whatever you're doing this week, make sure you take action, go out there and do it, don't just think about it, and here's to successful property investing. <laughs>